I'm Richard Lannan, Rides with Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Simon Scholes, who is the Managing Director of Vico Recycling. In this conversation, Simon talks us through his fenestration journey, all the way from how it started to the position he's in today. So, without further ado, let's get started. Simon. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank Thank you you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) So, how did you get into the fenestration world? Well, it's, um, I suppose from, it's, it's a very sort of banal way. I was genuinely, I was sitting around a pool with a friend in Greece on holiday. And, um, I was working for a door company at the time and I was bored. My old, my old boss there ended up being a good pal of mine actually, but I was going, I'm, I'm, I want to change. And I just went, I want to get into recycling. Don't know which bit, but I just I just think it's the right thing to do and I just want to do it. So came home from a holiday and as you do, got on the internet. I think went on to Monster or whatever it was and went searching for and I actually put recycling jobs in the search bar and came up for one, which was not particularly great advert for a company I'd never heard of. Sent my CV off. Being a good salesman, followed up the next morning, just nice. wanted to check you'd got it. And they went, oh, yes, yes, we'd like you to come in for an interview. Brilliant. So uh, interview book for the next week. Turned, tried to find some information. There was next to nothing on the internet about this company. All I managed to find was it was brand new. And this was sort of summertime, obviously, because I've been on my holidays, uh, 2007. Um, the company only got incorporated back in May. So it was brand shiny new, didn't have any web presence at all, apart from there was one photograph of uh, the then MD being handed a check, which I think was his um, uh, the purchase of his company when Vika bought the company. And uh, yeah, that was it. And the rest, they say, is history. So I started, uh, went for an interview and the office furniture hadn't been delivered. So we sat around an old school desk on some old school chairs in, a, in an office that was very nicely decorated and nice new carpet, but very little else. And I took a risk wow. and, and kind of here I am. And then the more you get to know it, I think during the interview process, everybody just tried to sell me the job. And I went, well, you're going to ask me about me and grill me. I was expecting quite a hard time here. And they went, no, 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 it's a really good company and there's lots going on. And look, look behind the curtain. I went, oh yes, Vika is very large, isn't it? And family owned. How lovely. And uh, so that was it. So yeah, I was hooked, as they say, yeah. and yeah, and it's it's just grown ever since. So that was that was it. That was how I got in. It was a very dull reason, I suppose, but I just wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to get into something that would help, you know, save penguins and polar bears, if you like. Yeah, which is a very good thing. Not everyone thinks that way. Yeah, and it just happened to be this. It could have been anything, but, you know, the door of opportunity, or the window of opportunity, should I say, <laughs> was um, was opened by Vika. Right. So, I'm not sure whether to go forward or back now, because let's say, so you were working at a door company before that? Yes. And then, so that, that was sales? Yes. So, so. sales, and I, I worked for them. Uh, then before that, I worked for Otis Lifts. Right. Uh, so that was quite fun. 
I worked for their London service. So that was a lot of fun. I met some really fascinating people in everywhere that I've, I've sort of gone and I've ended up coming away with some personal friends from both of those, which is nice. Before that, I did a little bit of, little bit of acting, which right. was um, nothing of any great shape. So if you ask me, what have I seen you in? Probably nothing. But um, it was fun while it lasted. But yeah, I'm an overqualified tractor driver, really. I studied agriculture at um, Shuttleworth Agricultural College many moons ago. So I know how to drive a combine harvester. Right. And um, but decided whilst I was studying for that that actually I quite like weekends. Yes. And if you're a farmer, you don't have them. They're optional. Well, yeah. actually, they're not even viable, especially this time of year when you've got the sun shining and harvests out. You work what you need to do. Don't mind working, but I do like the option of finishing on a Friday. That's quite nice. Yeah. And with farming, it's always... Especially, I think it's more people talk about it now. Did you watch Clarkson's Farm? Oh, love it. Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Um, And it was just, it really, he just played it so well. He did everything. He got in there and he just tried everything. And I think it was really powerful to watch because you really see what farmers go through and how they can make nothing if it all goes wrong. It is, it is, you know, this, this is the time of year for arable farmers where you've got a small window oh here we go back to windows again (laughs) of time where you can make your money you've worked all year to get to here to now and so many things can go wrong i've i've still got a lot of friends that are farmers and you know hats off to them they do work very hard and then they have moments when it's miserable and cold and wet when there's nothing to do apart from fix machinery and stare out at your fields looking rubbish you know you can have the wrong weather pretty much all the time and uh, yeah Clarkson's farm well you know Jeremy's busily being Jeremy and playing to the stereotype but he does get across the point that it's not easy the stereotype of farmers always complain they haven't got any money but they really have you know it is hard graft and you know it's a lifestyle yes exactly you know a vocation almost but yeah yeah hats off so you could drive a combine harvester, that, that big thing that saved him in the end when he was struggling to get, uh, to clear his feet, basically yes. to harvest yeah, his Yeah, when field. he really realised that, yes, I've got to my harvest and I haven't got a combine harvester. You know, it is, oh, come on. But it, it's, yeah, yeah, that was fun. I had at the time, it was uh, a class 228, uh, which at the time I think was one of the biggest combines you could buy in Europe. It's tiny now and tiny capacity and it was only the second one in the uk so i worked on a farm near cambridge i think about three thousand acres so it's a phenomenal bit of kit to use you're just in a box on your own and it was doing that i didn't mind i don't mind working long hours and working hard but it was just the i suppose the loneliness of it yeah because you're on your own and i i remember the the farm went along the a11 i think it was or A14 that sort of went to the coast and I was sort of over a bank holiday weekend. I watched on a Friday night, all the cars going down towards the coast and I was in one massive field and I was in the combine and I'm going up and down the field on the Saturday and the Friday night and the Sunday and the Monday. And then on the Monday night, I watched all the cars coming back, you know, and there's thinking they've all been down the beach. They're probably all hung over, sunburnt and tired. And they're going, what a great weekend. Uh, and I went, I don't think I want to do farming. So I stopped. Well, and ended up, ended up smashing up windows for a living. 
Yeah. I'm just also thinking that the, 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 the machinery, though, itself was very, is so much smarter than anyone could imagine. And they, it justifies the money now, I think, towards them. I think, to, and I think that basic love of, I grew up, uh, my grandfather, who's still alive, age 97, um, was the farming side of my family. So I've got farming on one side, funeral directing on the other. And I pretty much grew up on the farm because, you know, any hands make light work. So as soon as I could reach the pedals on the massive focus and I was engaged in farm duties, but I liked the machinery, you know, and that's, you know, that fits very well with where we are here because it's sort of things that make noises and move around and actually do things. That part of this job and every job I've done, it's that where's the mechanics, where's the thing that does the thing. All of that I find endlessly fascinating. Um, and the engineering and the cleverness. And yes, going back, that I met one of my f- um, farming friends on the way to a kid's um, party. I passed him on the drive to um, this farm where the, the, these kids were having their birthday party. And uh, he said, oh, where are you off to? He said, I've got to go. They're coming out to fix my combine. I went, okay. He said, what, was something worn out? He said, no, the computer's gone wrong. He said, they're, they're coming with a laptop to reprogram my combine harvester. Okay. Oh, because when I did it, it was basically a bearing had burnt out or you needed to hit something with a very big hammer <laughs> or weld something back on. Um, now, nowadays it's, it's all computer controlled and you've got the technology that allows you to map your field. So the combine live links to the crop that comes out and that that matches up to the sprays that you've put on the fertilizer you've done the cultivation you've done you can sort of map all of your farm and all of your fields so the computer program will actually work out where you need to put less or more chemicals or um, fertilizer or anything like that all there to sort of cut down on what you waste because you know rather than just blanket a whole field with chemicals that you don't need or fertilize that you don't need you can be a lot more deliberate because the 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 land tells you what it needs and the computer captures that and it it sort of maps the spaces maps the slopes it's incredibly clever fascinating you know rather than just sitting there in the cold with no cab in the winter (laughs) do you still remember though what it felt like to finish when you completed it Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that sort of the last field and it was, yeah, the last time I properly drove a combine in, in, um, anger was crikey. When would that be? 92. That was my last harvest, um, on that farm. And yes, when you get to the last field and you just get to that last little triangle and you lift the head up and you just go, yes, done. It's safe. Cause then at that point you can go, I'm safe. Because all that hard work that you started last harvest is all done because you've, you've cultivated the land, you've sown your seed, you've looked after it, you've paid attention when it's poorly or needs something and then it grows and you pray for nice weather when you need it and you hope that it doesn't pour with rain just before harvest ready and you just go, oh, come on. And then it's finally in the combine, in a trailer, in the shed. Phew. Start again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... So how did you go from that to sales then? Where did the sales part of you come in? Um, I think it's always sort of been there. I'm reasonably 
Uh, well, it's me trying to judge me. I, I don't. I'm reasonably outgoing and chatty. Uh, I can always say I can talk the hind legs off a donkey. And when I was little, my, my mother, well, she still does. She deals in antiques. So uh-huh. she buys and sells uh, antiques. And she used to, every year uh, in my hometown of Stamford, when I was younger, used to go to Barnhill Festival. And I used to have a little stall next to her antique stall where she would basically give me all the stuff she couldn't sell. And I'd sell sort of things for 10, 20, and, you know, the most expensive things, 50p. And I'd sell bundles of knives and forks and weird and wonderful things to little old ladies who would haggle with me. (laughs) You know, oh, that's got 50p on it. Would you do it for 20? You know, that sort of thing. And that was my summer holiday money. So if I did really, really well and drummed up a lot of business, then I could have more money to spend on, you know, ice cream and lollipops down the beach in the summer. So that was, so I used to do that. So that was my first sales job, I suppose that and selling some bedding plants on the, on the side of the road outside my grandfather's. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I suppose it's always sort of been there. Yeah. And then I moved to London. Well, actually no, before that I went to Australia and traveled Australia and Indonesia and fell into conversation with some folks in Indonesia who were exporting handmade furniture to Singapore. And I sort of went, well, this is all really lovely stuff. And they went, yes, could you export it to the UK? And they went, yes. So uh, when I came home, I managed to raise some funds and brought a shipping container of handmade furniture across to the UK and flogged that round trade shows and things. Didn't quite save up enough money to get a second container and then ended up moving to London and doing some silly acting. And then needed a job, ended up getting a, temporary job to cover some maternity leave at Otis and then the fools gave me a job <laughs> as a salesman <laughs> and then that sort of set the hairs running if you like right and then the door company came in after that yes and the door to door so a company called Carba which uh don't think exists in that form anymore the company that I ended up ultimately working for went bust a few years after I left or got divided up and sold off yeah. so it was Carba Gilgan I think and, um, yes, that was all automatic doors and turnstiles, revolving thing. It was all very fabulous stuff. Yeah. And uh, you, if you go through an airport security, look up. If you've got, you go some, in some airports, you go through an, what feels like an airlock where the doors open and you go through a tunnel and then there's another door and that opens and the one behind you closes so you can't come back. If you look up before you go in, the sensors that opens the door might have K-A-B-A on. So I remember trying to sell some of those into London City Airport years ago. Uh-huh. But my last job there was working on the project. I was project manager for the Olympic game bid. But I left before I got too far with that. Right. And ended up recycling windows. Yes. So you started in sales when yes. you were recycling. So you were actually selling, what were you selling? I was selling the service. Right. So the service of recycling properly. So we have been recycling windows at Vika since 93. And we were brand new. Vika was brand new doing it in the UK whilst it worked with other recyclers across the country. They wanted to expand and they wanted to bring what they knew to these shores. So they bought a company with a small team, brought that on board and They needed somebody out to go out there and find more feedstock. So to talk to window makers, to talk to waste companies and say, hello, 
we've got this opportunity to do something right for the environment and something right for the industry. Would you be interested in joining our cause? So that was where we started. And yeah, I think when we started, there was 10 of us in the um, company. So including the managing director and his wife. Right. So we were very small, but we grew quickly. And yeah, that was sort of, it was, it was interesting because it was new. It was new, but I've, I've always tried to change if you like um roles so you know from lifts to doors to windows it it's it's not the same and it's sort of a case of that was that was fun to do it because it sort of couldn't do it through an agent because they go well you're a door salesman you know well no i'm a human being who can sell things you know so sort of to jump out of an industry into another one is quite unusual and it sort of normally messes with the recruiter's head yeah so we grew and that was fun and um, yeah. And then, so did you stay in the sales role all of that time? Um, for a lot of it, as we got bigger, then uh, recruited another salesman to join me. Then we ended up getting two more because we needed the coverage of doing different things. Then in 2012, we installed an extruder so we could make a finished product as far as we're concerned, if you like, an ingredient for the UK market. So then I needed a set, a proper salesman to go and find people that extruded PVC and who might want to use what we could make. Right. So that sort of added the, the extra person into the sales team. And then we got to the bit of, when did we get to? So 2018, we moved here. So this was 2017. I got made up to the board and then got given the commercial director's title, if you like. Right. So that was sort of formalizing what we'd, we'd done and we got a decent team and we were going places. So that was sort of the precursor of what was sort of coming next, if you like. So it was sort of give me a little bit more exposure to being a bit more of a grown up yeah. <laughs> and having some more serious, serious decisions to make. Which opened it up then to... To this new position. Well, not, yeah. It's not so new now. No, 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 it's, um, I feel like I'm getting a bit long in the tooth, but it's, um, no, uh, yes. And then we made the decision to move up here to Wellingborough when the investment came from head office and, um, they said, right now it's your turn. You know, the investment's there. So, you know, it's the bank of mum and dad, as I call it, <laughs> because it's, 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 this is all funded by Vika in Germany. So we don't owe the bank anything. Um, we owe the bank of mum and dad um, at commercial terms, I will, will yes. add, which is, which is completely right and as it should be. So that was the big decision that we made in 2017, look for a site. It took us a while to find something. We made the decision where we were going to sort of look in the country. And at that point, uh, our incumbent MD made the decision he didn't want to move away from his home in Kent. So made it very clear he wasn't coming. So uh, once we started building this, he then exited the company and I stepped up. So took the big chair. Right, I see. So, and were you the, I suppose being commercial director, you were the obvious choice? I suppose so. I I would never sort of assume that. It's, um, you know, some much cleverer people than me make big decisions. 
I'd like to think that, yes, it was the obvious choice, really. But, you know, um, I'm still here, so that's good. And I knew the business. I knew what we were doing. It was very clear where we wanted to go. And I've got a very clear idea what we want to be and what Vika is. And I like that. You know, my family's all about family businesses. So it's all about the people. It's all about um, how you behave and the way you go about it with sort of honesty and integrity and that sort of fits my background if like fits with the company that I work for is that it's about doing a proper job yeah um so uh I sort of the farming thing is a proper job <laughs> and it sort of it sort of dovetails very nicely into what we do um but yeah jumped in said yes please I want the challenge it's always been and and the actual step up is basically meant for me it was almost well, I've just changed my what it says on my business card, the actual job that I'd been doing really for over a year hadn't changed. And certainly when we came up to Wellingborough, the work and the team that I had to build here pretty much fresh meant that I was effectively running as the MD as soon as we moved up here anyway, with a, you know, an identical business to the one we had in Kent running at the same time as the one was down in, in, uh, Swanscombe. So yeah, we had to, had to make it work. So yes, in that respect, yeah, probably was the obvious choice. <laughs> yeah. But also, I suppose, I mean, it's difficult enough becoming an MD to, to some people, but then you took, you know, that project as well, the move, it, it, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? I, I never really thought about it that way. It was just a job that needed to be done. So you just get on and do it. I didn't think of it as sort of anything, you know, we, we, we made the clear decision. We're going to move. We want to invest. Vika was very keen that we invested in the UK and had the full factory here. So for that, we needed to own our own site. There needed to be a certain amount of space to fit it all in with room to grow because of sort of the long-term plans and, um, what we see, you know, the UK market is capable of. I didn't see it as, you know, a big, challenge i knew it was going to be a lot of work and a lot of sleepless nights and late evenings and and those weekends i was trying to get back by not farming <laughs> um but it, it was a case of well it just needs to be done so we'll just crack on and do it i'll build the team i'll get people to do the work that needs to be done and the companies that are good at these certain things and uh, that's sort of it you just sort of lead everybody where they need to go and try and along the way to find the right people to fill the right slots and follow the vision that the company has. And mostly we got that. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's always... It's, but it's never finished. No, it's never It'll finished. never be finished. But even just talking to you, it was very apparent that you saw it all as exciting. You know, it was. It didn't seem like work in a way. You know, you had the, the motivation you wanted to do it. Oh, it, it's, it's, I mean, what an opportunity. I mean, I, I would defy anybody to sort of who, who likes this sort of, um, thing at all to sort of not go, what an opportunity because it was, it was, it was a gift. It was, you know, thank you for, for the opportunity for this because, you know, how many people get to basically have a blank piece of paper and rebuild a company that already exists and to then build a brand new plant from scratch? you know, using all this experience within the company, but also all this experience of different companies that are good at certain bits and you bolt it all together and all of a sudden you've got this big, noisy, exciting, whirling 
thing. And and I think that's the bit because it's tangible. You can go around our factory, you can see it, you can hear it, you can smell it, you can feel it. It's 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 not greenwash, it's not marketing, it's real, it's tangible. And I like that. It's like that. It's like a big boys Meccano kit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it. It it it's just yeah, I think the elements of piecing it all together and see something being built. I used to really like Meccano as a kid. Um, I've still got it. I've still got all my Meccano. And just building things and not having a plan, you know, to a certain extent. I'm just going to build something. I'm going to build a crane that will lift this toy out of the toy box, you know. Well, I'll just crack on and do it. But this is not quite as plan- unplanned as, as that, but it was... You know, you are building something from nothing. You've got a set of ideas. You pull them together. You know what does work, but does it work with the new idea you've got? Well, yes, we think it does. Um, and and then you just build it. You just get on. And that's the sort of thing, I suppose. It, it's If you stripped it back down, was this a massive achievement? Well, yes, it was. But this was a, a group achievement. The team built this. You know, this is this is an achievement of many people and many individuals who made it all happen. You know, and that's just awesome because it, it's here, it exists. It is, it's fantastic. So just to get my head around, did you actually move what was there and shut down the original or did it all, or did they both go? Um, well, what we had to do, we had to keep the business running. So what we had to do was to keep the operation in Kent running. And then build this. And we did it all within 10 months. From making the decision of what we were actually going to do, we made that in February of of, uh, 2018. So it was a very short time period. And from that point, we then, we had a a limited amount of time left on the lease on the site in Kent. And that ended at the end of 2018, 31st December. So we had a time limit. So we could have extended, but we decided that, no, we can do it in that time scale. So we made it happen. And it was 10 months from sitting in the boardroom, what is now the boardroom in Wellingborough in February. The heating didn't work. The place was bitterly cold and it was an empty factory. It was an, a series of empty buildings. And the technical team said, yes, it'll all fit. Yes, we can do it. So between that point and uh, the end of the year, we had to, completely replicate what was already on operation tell everybody and find a new team you know we offered everybody to come and join us i'd have loved to have brought people up from kent but it's a long way it's a big ask yeah um and in the end at that point i think only five of us myself included traveled which was you know a bit hard yeah ups and downs yeah. (laughs) so you uh, yeah not even considering that you upsticked your whole home uh, well, no, I, bizarrely, you know, the life of a salesman, you are always in the wrong place. <laughs> yes. Um, especially if you're on the road, you will always be living somewhere wrong. So the closest I ever lived to my job was when I lived in London, South London, and I worked for Otis and my office was in Bermondsey, which was, I think as the crow flies five miles, but it would take 40 minutes in a car. Yeah, London. Uh, it's London. Yeah. That was the closest I'd ever been. But then the patch I ended up getting was Southern region. So it was round up to the M25. So it was going out of London and, and Chertsey and places like that. And that was just a nightmare. 
It was just London traffic all the time. Then when I started at Vika, we moved out of London uh, as a family up to Bedfordshire. Right. And we were looking at various sites for the new factory. And we ended up with one that was actually 20 miles closer to my house than the one in the factory in Kent. Right. So it's still not on my doorstep, but it was still so. And also I wasn't then having to face the M25 and the uh, M1 quite so much. So it's sort of cross country. So my, my commuting went from about, well, depending on the M25 from two and a half hours or an hour and a half to 45 to minutes to an hour. So it was just by chance. We were looking at one that was in Cambridgeshire as well, but this, this just fitted the bill. Brilliant. It was the right price. <laughs> well, also, it does say a lot because you could have picked something right on your doorstep to minimise your travel, but you still chose this area. Uh, well, it wasn't about me. It was about the business. And exactly. that, that's the bit. It was it was looking for the site and it, it was one of those points of going, right, what fits what the business needs? And this site did. The, the one in Cambridgeshire, the site was actually a bit too small. Uh, and where we actually ended up was pretty good. You've got the A14, you've got the M1, a you know, A1. You've got access to quite a lot of all the arteries that take you north and south of this country and across, you know, right on our doorstep, which is why if you drive around the countryside here, it's full of large sheds. Yeah. We're in the logistics hub of the Midlands. So it was a good choice in that respect because, you know, our stuff has to travel from where it is to where we need it. So, yeah, it was the right spot for the business. It just so happened that I lived in Bedfordshire, which was not planned by me. It was just lucky. Yeah. Sometimes some luck comes your way. That's quite a journey. And yeah. that brings me on to low point. Is there a low point that sticks out for you in that journey? Absolutely. Crikey, yes. Um, the low point was the positive of the business decision of going, you've got the funding from Group you're going to build the factory where are we going to build it you know and and the decision you know the the obvious point was 80 plus percent of what came into our factory was from north of london and we were south of london in a very expensive part of the world which is really good for building houses not for building great big factories that need lots of space so that i suppose was a low point in the fact that we had to go and stand in front of all of our staff in Kent and say, we're building a factory in Northamptonshire and we would love you all to come and we will help fund that because we want to retain as many of you as we possibly can. And I think, I think the point of uh, that of just going, it's really hard to then stand in front of people that you've worked with for a long time who are good people and you just go, here's some really big news. So I suppose from that point, the, the act of doing that. And I think, I think it's the bit of, yes, having to say something so monumental to an awful lot of people and doing everything you possibly can to make it easy and to try and help them. You know, if they don't want to come, find new jobs or and we put together the best package we could to try and soften the blow because it, it, it wasn't pleasant. That, I'd say that was a big blow because... You know, we had to say goodbye to some really good people, which was a shame. But, you know, 
positive, I suppose, from that. We then offered a whole bundle more people another job that had the opportunity. But yeah, I'd say if it was a low, that was it out of all of it. Because that's yeah. it again, your business is your people. And it's hard, you know, that's that was a that's when it brings it home that business can be cold. And um and you every day you realise you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people's livelihoods and incomes and yeah, that's a tough one. But it had to be done for the greater good. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not one of those jobs that anyone's going to put their hand up and say, I'll do that. It's just, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's a bit like in, you know, in, in a business, if, if, you know, you've got HR and IT, you know, if either of those are coming, knocking at your door, you've got a problem. Yeah. You know, and I, that was one of the things, you know, as I said, my, my family on my father's side were funeral directors and got no problem with dead bodies. I, 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 I do, do have a, um, a preference for a dark coloured car purely for that I grew up surrounded by hearses and I was perfectly alright but it was the living that I couldn't deal with because they used to come we used to live I grew up in a house um, that was on the business so we'd have people every night knocking on the door saying we've come to see our relative in the chapel and you know they're just broken hearted because somebody yeah. they love has died and it, it's that bit of humanity and you know I had the opportunity of being a funeral director. I went, um, I could do everything except dealing with the, the living because I couldn't deal with that four or five times a day, dealing with somebody that's broken hearted. That would break my heart. Yeah. So it's, it's that bit is tough dealing with the people. It's also immensely rewarding at times, but yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. That's a different story. But yes. So on the flip side of that. Yeah. I agree. That's a low point. Is there a high point that sticks out for you? I suppose ceremonially this March, we had uh, Mr. Hartlife, Andreas Hartlife, the, the CEO here, uh, to officially push the button, um, which sits in our boardroom. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yes. So that's it. That's it um, in our boardroom, which was given to me directly after the inauguration of the French factory in 2012. And I brought it home in the boot of my Volvo. And I've had it in my office ever since, but it now sits in the boardroom. So I suppose the high point was having that official button push. Although we were operational last year, really that was the sort of the, the final bit that he was, we managed to get him to come here, which was absolutely brilliant, um, and show him what we've built. And to get that official, we've pushed the button. Now we're properly motoring. So I suppose the sort of real high is the fact that this works that we are doing it, that we are producing lovely, fantastic, clean pellet from scruffy, broken, scrappy old windows. You know, I sort of like to think we genuinely do make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Yeah. That to me is, yeah. is, you know, we create something from a waste product and actually do. And and I, that that's my that's what gets me up in the morning, if you like, because that's exciting because, you know, what the guys and, and girls in the, in the factory produce and do every day, it's just, it's just absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. It is. And, and important, important to a lot of people, but also customers from my sales days, a lot of people felt more comfortable knowing that their old windows are going to be recycled. It was a fascinating thing to watch. It, it's, it's doing it the right way as well. You know, there's, there's a lot of companies, certainly at the way the market is at the moment, 
claiming to be recycling, you know, and they're just sort of moving things around. And there's few of us in the market all across Europe that do do the full recycling process. And it, it, it's not, you know, there's lots of companies there that we need to move it around for us. That's important. They're an important part of the supply chain without question. But it, it's to be aware of the whole story and where it's going and make sure that it's not being dumped in a field, that it's being looked after correctly and properly and the whole supply chain. That That's really important because it's a valuable resource. Why on earth would you throw something away that can be reused again and again and again? And that that's the real positive thing for me is that, um, you know, we want to use this as many times as we possibly can and we don't want any to be lost. And, you know, the challenge for all of us doing this job, it's not just Fika. There are some cracking other companies out there doing doing uh, a good job. Not as good as us, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, but they are doing a good job. And it's a case of we want to make sure that we recycle everything that can be recycled and turn back into a new product. That that's That's the ultimate aim of the industry. Because why would you chuck it away? I've always said that, I always think when it comes to plastic waste, just generally, that if a carrier bag had a conscience, it would want to be doing carrier bag things and carrying stuff around. It wouldn't want to be floating around in the ocean. It would much prefer to be used again or recycled or, uh, and I go, it's not plastic's fault that it's wasted and thrown away and you find it in places you shouldn't. It's us as a species. So us humans need to um, do a better job of being aware of what we are using and how we recycle it so that it can be used and recycled correctly and properly every time. That's, that's my soapbox moment. Wow, that's, I think that's <laughs> powerful, brilliant and powerful. So last question. Oh, if you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from within the fenestration world, who would it be? Well, I never. Let's have a think. Who would that be? Well, I think because I am a terribly frivolous person at times, I would probably take um, Paul Godwin, ah. fast PR, purely for the fact that he's a ridiculous individual. <laughs> and I think we would probably spend two weeks just giggling. We probably need to book into some kind of rehab afterwards. I don't know, but it, it's, <laughs> and yeah, if I was going to be stuck on a desert island, I'd like to do, I wouldn't want to be too serious, you know, so that would fit, I think. I don't yeah. think Paul's in the least bit serious. That may- <laughs> well, he can be, I suppose, but you know, and we probably wouldn't talk about windows, which would be nice. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> There's no, yeah, you definitely don't have to do that. Fantastic. Simon, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back on at some point. The, the, the offer is always there. It's, it, would, it would be fun. Yes. And I apologise if there's all sorts of beeping and banging in the background. But, you know, we, we are still smashing up the yeah, windows out there. Exactly. Open for business. So, thank you, Simon. Take care. Pleasure. Thank you. That was a great episode with Simon. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.